Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and on today's episode, we pick up with part two of the interview with Jason Fox, my former colleague at ESPN Crick Info, who is a multimedia video editor who helped cut a whole lot of highlights and content that could be accessed on ESPN Crick Info for everybody who lives in the USA geographic market. And Jason gives a warts and all interpretation of life at ESPN and life in Connecticut working for Crick Info. We'll go into that. We'll also go into some other things that he discusses about the American cricket ecosystem, which are pet peeves of his that ties into part one of the interview with Jason Fox, where he discussed his experiences growing up in Kansas as part of the American cricket community, where he represented the USA under 15 squad in 2008, which also factored into his path coming to work for ESPN and ESPN Creek Info. So we cover a lot of that in part two of the interview, and we'll have part three coming up in the next episode where we continue to discuss Jason's 18-month career working for Creek Info and also his connection to Mohibal Archival and the Jared Kimber story, the Shahid Afridi of Kansas that comes up in part three, but for now, part two, we discuss a whole lot of other things. Jason and me kind of go on a few tangents, which is why we had to split this up into three episodes, but hopefully there's enough for everybody to chew on. And before we get to Jason's interview, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also supported by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Perland, Texas. We've had a shower, a wardrobe change. We've had a couple days to digest part one with Jason Fox. Jason is kind enough to rejoin us now away from home. He's out on the road doing what he does, which is, why don't you explain what you do, Jason, nowadays? My wife and I own a couple of different businesses, but what I'm doing right now is we own a business called BGW. We sell and service specialty coffee equipment. So uh, we do a lot of work for some large national coffee chains that I'm sure you're probably aware of, as well as independent local shops. Basically, if there's coffee equipment out of place, whether it's espresso machines or whatever, we come in and we fix it and then we sell it sometimes too. How big of an industry is this or is this something that's very, very niche that you are cornering the market in in terms of specialization? If you think about like um, American coffee culture, it's like 99 cent drip at the gas station, right? Like everyone, that's where they get their coffee if they're not going to a fancy coffee shop. In Europe, it's like that, but instead of 99 cent drip, it's like 99 cent espresso literally everywhere, like on like every building or every shop or every restaurant you go to has an espresso machine. Problem is in the United States that no one knows how to work on them. And it's very simple. It's like working on any other piece of like restaurant equipment or air conditioners or whatever but people get freaked out by coffee equipment it's kind of like a special industry you know i don't even know if you would have ever even thought about coffee equipment breaking down until we're having this conversation right now but it happens a lot some of the large multinational coffee companies they don't really like it when they can't make coffee so we stay pretty busy I would imagine so. That <laughs> reminds me a little bit of Nastush Kenjige, current USA national team player. Before he became a essentially contracted player and a full-time cricketer, his job was being a medical equipment service technician, essentially. So what he would do is he would go into hospitals. He was contracted to go into hospitals and he would inspect 
x-ray machines, CAT scan machines, MRI machines, and if any of them had a part that needed to be replaced or needed servicing, he was the one who was going around from hospital hospital around New York City to make sure hospitals had all their high-tech equipment in place. Because just like you said, if, if a coffee machine breaks down, it kind of eats into the bottom line. It really kind of ruins your ability to turn a profit if you're a coffee shop or a coffee chain. And just like that for, for him, if, if a hospital can't use their MRIs or their CAT scan or their x-ray machines, well, got an awful lot of patients that can't get the help they need. You know, the thing about it is, is like, ideally, you know something about coffee because like, yeah, you can fix the equipment, but you also kind of need to know like what it should look like. And I didn't care about coffee at all until I met Becky, who is now my wife but she's very into coffee. She's a certified coffee roaster. Um, we also own a coffee shop in Wichita, Kookaburra Coffee. The business has been around for about six years now. I didn't know how to turn a wrench. Like I lived on some property and sometimes we had to fix stuff, but I was not like a fixing it kind of guy. And now I'm like, I can just fix it. And so that's cool. It's given me like a new sense of confidence and something I never thought I'd do. And like I'm at in the field right now, but lately I have not had to be in the field, which is where I want to be like doing bigger picture stuff but on the road and that's just the way it goes sometimes you're doing your your coffee repair business now but before or in between stints doing coffee repairs yeah, kind of yeah. you worked for espn at the headquarters as an espn crick info employee you were a video editor i think officially your title uh, is multimedia, multimedia. Yeah. yes yeah. multimedia editor you came on board just after the 2014 t20 world cup i remember it as just after the soccer world cup because that's what everyone was still like well well that that too that's also after the t20 world cup yeah (laughs) but yeah so that would have been uh july august of 2014 i was checking my email the other day i think it was like july yeah everybody was going world fifa world cup crazy yeah when it was in brazil from memory after the, that world cup ends where there's a shared space for people who are not aware espn fc video editors the multimedia editors for espn fc and espn Crick info they're all kind of bundled into one area in the international space in the building three bunker as we call it in the dungeon down where there's no windows no sunlight and you're there doing video clip editing around the clock so you come on board in the summer of 2014 that was going to be leading into the 2015 World Cup, which ESPN had the rights for for the U.S. marketplace. So there was a need for more staff, and you helped fill the void that was necessary and building up the staff, the, the very nascent staff, because it was me, you, Kahal Kramer, and there may have been one or two other people, but it was it was basically two or three I mean, people it was just doing us. all the video editing. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, in the U.S. office anyway for like uh, share or rights holder content and some other stuff. Just to explain for people who aren't aware, all the video clips that were edited and accessible for people living in the U.S., these are what we would call geo-targeted rights clips, all the cricket rights that ESPN owned for the U.S. marketplace. They were all cut for a 12 to 18-month time period by basically one of three people, me, you, or Cahill. And the reason why they needed staff in Bristol specifically is because the video 
is coming in through a satellite stream and it has to come in through the Connecticut service and there has to be somebody physically on site in Connecticut to cut the clips. It's not a case of from a technical and logistical standpoint, you can't have clips that are sent into the Connecticut satellite server that can be edited and accessed by somebody sitting in an office in India, basically because there were only three of us with the knowledge and the technical skills to do cricket highlights editing. You were basically working almost a seven day a week, round the clock, whenever there's cricket on, there's highlights that need to be cut and there's really not much downtime. So let me ask you, as somebody who had played for USA junior national team at under 15 level, and as somebody who was an avid cricket aficionado as a player and as a fan, and then getting an opportunity to work for Crick Info, which has this esteemed reputation around the world as the go-to place for cricket content. What made you want to apply? What was your reaction when you first got the word that you'd been hired? And then what were your initial impressions when you first arrived? So, you know, it's your fault, right? You know the story? <laughs> Let's hear it. I was on Facebook arguing with you about maybe it was like a man, like, a, I want to say it was like Kieran Pollard running out a non-striker. And I was advocating, and I still feel this way, that like the law about like entering a delivery stride is like vague. Because to me, as soon as your back foot is planted, that makes it clear that you are going to deliver a ball. Once you have entered your delivery stride, you should be free to not be run out as a non-striker. You did not see it that way. And so we go back and forth. I don't really remember like the content. I just remember that it happened. Because what happens next, I am telling my wife why you are wrong and why I am right. And she is just like fed up. And she's like, you know what? If you think that you can do a better job at this, why don't you just get a job at ESPN? And I was like, fine, I will. And so I stocked the careers page on ESPN for like six months, six whole months. And all I did is I just typed cricket and I searched. And occasionally there was like a job that was like, oh, experience in or knowledge of rugby or soccer and cricket, a bonus. And I was like, that's not for me. And then one day it was like multimedia editor, ESPN Crick Info. And I was like, this is mine. I'm going to get this job right now. This is so, the time to get revenge on Della Pena. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, man, this dude is like, I love reading his dream cricket stuff, but like we can do better than this. I'm going to put him in his and, place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like sitting in my office for the, the business I was running at the time. And I'm just like filling out this God awful long application for ESPN. I had a friend, a family friend of ours owns like a, uh, an HR consulting firm. And so I, I asked him if he could design a uh, resume for me in the style of ESPN for Info's website. So the resume that I uploaded had my name in the ESPN and Crick Info font. And it was laid out like the homepage of the website at the time. With like all of my stuff and I thought that was so clever I was like I also happened to include my uh my Crick Info profile link on my resume because I was like check me out I'm on the website and so like I submitted it and I was like all right great we'll see what happens but, like the next day they called me and I'm on the way to dinner with Becky and I answer the phone and I'm like I like mouthing to her like hey this is ESPN can we like pull over or something and she's like yeah yeah, yeah take your time whatever and so my hiring manager interviews me someone we both know he asked me if I want the job like 30 minutes into the phone call and I'm like oh yeah I absolutely want this job and he's like well why don't you like think about it and then call me tomorrow and so I called him tomorrow I was like hey I would really like this job and he's like when can you be in Connecticut and I'm like two weeks he's like it's great see you then that was that I think I got like two grand to move 
Were you surprised that they called you that quickly? Or was it like, hey, I, I must I be I mean, like, how many people are, honestly, truthfully, how many people are, like, so angry at the state of, like, American cricket that they're, like, stalking the ESPN careers page with, like, the idea that maybe it's possible that, like, if you are at ESPN, you can carry forward your love for the game and, like, transform and, and at least, like, do something meaningful in terms of, like, cricket for the United States through media. You're going to, people hearing this are going to be so inspired because they're, Jason, there's a big line of people who hate my guts who are now going to be inspired by hearing your story and thinking, is that all it takes? A hatred for Peter Dolphinic gets you. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't hatred. <laughs> like, come on, man. Let's, let's be honest. It, wasn't <laughs> it was like, it was, um, it was annoyance at a difference of opinion and some other differences of opinion than I have read in my very like inexperienced young teenage angst coming out because like i knew obviously i know more about cricket and journalism and the, the way we should talk about cricket in the united states than you i mean obviously right um <laughs> that's the way i felt at the time um so meeting you for the first time was like uh very bittersweet because i was like man i'm gonna i'm, I'm coming in I'm, I'm gonna do it right and then like you're really nice and you showed me how to do it and i was like oh shit all right well that didn't go how i expected all right, cool, 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 cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that, like, honestly, there should be more cricket journalists. Like, it's not, it's like a, a burden and also, like, stupid that you're the only one. And there's more around now. But, like, there should be more. I think that people would be interested in hearing about, like, what's happening in the high-level stuff across the, even locally across the country. I don't understand. I, at the time, I didn't understand. I still don't understand. Why is that space not being filled? it better because it could be better i've always said when people have asked me like oh you must really enjoy going on tours being the only person on the road covering the usa national team and this is back like around the time that you joined 2014 2015 like you said it is a little bit different now there are a few more guys on the scene who do show up to certain events whether in the usa or overseas first and foremost smith patel and nate hayes Smith is at Crick Buzz, and Smith also started with Crick Info. Some people don't know or don't remember, but Smith Patel's first gig actually was doing ball by ball for ESPN Crick Info during the ODI Tri Series in Florida in September 2019 between USA, Papua New Guinea, and Namibia. And I actually was involved in connecting Smith with the people who are in charge of ball by ball assignments at Crick Info because. I sent out a word on Facebook to say, hey, if anybody's interested, we need people to do ball by ball for these matches because I, I wasn't going to be able to do ball by ball. I had other responsibilities and duties. And so I, I just sent a message because I was asking around by word of mouth and all these people who talk a big game about, oh, yeah, I want to I want to do what you do. I want to do I want to be covering the USA. I want to do this. I want to do that. I, why, where's my opportunity? Well, I, I called and messaged all these people. And then all of a sudden they were nowhere to be found or they had better things to do. And so then I just sent out a word on Facebook saying, Hey, anybody who wants to do ball by ball, if you can be in Florida or you live in Florida, or you can be in Florida in this second week of September, send me a message, send me a DM, let me know. And Smith was literally, I think he was the only person to respond or if he was, he was one of two people, nobody was interested. And so it was basically <laughs> a simple matter of Smith was the only one who showed interest. So, so I messaged Smith back and said, Hey, you got the you got the gig if you want if you can get down to Florida. <laughs> so he actually started with Crick Info. A lot of people don't know that. And then he moved on to Crick Buzz. And I'm I'm very happy for him because the reality is on the U.S. correspondent, and there was going to be limited opportunities beyond ball by ball for him. So, but it, I I've always said to people when they say, "Oh, you must love being the only person on the road correspondent 
blah 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 covering U.S. cricket. I'm like, no, it's boring. Like you 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 tour other countries and you see other national teams with other journalists, and they've got five, 10, 15, 20 people covering the national team. They've got huge exposure. It's boring and it, and it's lonely. It sounds kind of pathetic to say it, but it's it's lonely no, being I, the only person on the road. Yeah, uh, right now I can totally empathize with you. I can imagine like uh, reading tour diaries or whatever, and being like, oh man, I wish my life was like that. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, but like I see the camaraderie and there's this false, I think, narrative or false perception, this misperception of like other journalists in other countries. Yes, ostensibly on paper, they're competing with each other. They write for different outlets. They write for different websites or magazines or newspapers, whatever. But generally speaking, my read of how they interact with each other, mostly people just get along. They're peers. They're not, they're not necessarily competitors at all times. And so when I've met Smith, when I've met Nate Hayes, but I met a few other people who have shown up to events. I'm thrilled. I love it when there are more people interested. When you joined, when Cahill joined, it was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Because I was the first one who was hired to do video editing in, in Connecticut back in October 2013. And and I imagine like in that space being like, uh, it, was, it was worse. It's got to be worse working by yourself at Crick Info uh, in like in that physical space, but also like the work that we had to do. There was no help. It was it was me or nobody when I first started who was doing the, the video highlight setting. There's this image of, oh, you're at ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. Yeah, being at ESPN is a wonderful thing to a point. There are 6,000 employees at the Connecticut headquarters, right? Or thereabouts. And there might be 500 NFL employees and 400 NBA employees. And they've got a big peer network that they're interacting with each other. They, they, they can go to the ESPN cafeteria and sit down with each other and have chats about what they're working on basketball, what they're working on NFL, what they're working on baseball, what, you know, Olympic sports, ESPN, FC, whatever. I go to the cafeteria. Who am I going to have a cricket conversation with? <laughs> you know? like, it's, it's a lonely place. So the fact when you came on board and when Kaha came over, it was like, Oh my God, like I've got people I can talk cricket with. Like, this is, this is now cool. Um, because you have the, like nowadays you have Slack, and before then you would have G chat, G chat. Yeah. We use G chat a lot. Gmail, G chat to communicate across time zones with people in the India desk or the England desk. Right. And you can communicate with them and, and build up some sort of bond with them to a point. Right. But if you don't have that in-person interaction, it's very kind of limiting. And so, uh, yeah, I always, I always tell people, I, I, there would, nothing would make me happier than five years from now, 10 years from now, or sooner than that, going to an event where the USA national team is playing or other events. And rather than me being the only guy, there is five, 10, 15, 20 other reporters. I think that would, that would be a thrilling achievement to demonstrate the health of the U S cricket culture. Once it gets to that stage to show that it's healthy to a point that it can sustain and support five, 10, 15, 20 full-time media jobs. Like you get in England or Australia or India or other countries I have always heard that the United States is the second largest media market for cricket after India. And so the fact that that's limited to like at times one or two companies, like as far as like journal, like not rights holder content or just like supporting infrastructure, it, okay, it still doesn't make sense to me. Like I, I still don't understand. Well, again, the thing to remember to kind of bring this back full circle is that despite how big Crick Info is in ESPN is, and the traffic that is generated out of the U.S. And, you know, again, to go back to your original point about how, how is there only one person and you come in and, and you are the third person, I guess technically it was me, then Cahill, then you, right? 
and how are how are there only three people supporting the operation out of the U.S. Um, and why is why is there only one U.S. correspondent for Crick Info, or one person at the time covering U.S. cricket? Period. Because yeah, even though yeah, India is generating the most traffic for Crick Info, USA is generating the second most traffic, and a lot of people don't know this. USA and England are always neck and neck in terms of who generates the second most traffic for Crick Info. But where is that traffic going? What are the pages those people are clicking on? If USA was providing the second most traffic to Crick Info, and all that traffic was going to the USA national team page, I would be making two to three times as much money, I would be one of the highest paid people at Craig Info because everybody would be coming to read my stuff. The reality is the people out of the US who supply all the traffic out of the US in terms of the geo-targeted traffic, they're not clicking on the USA national team page. They're all they're all clicking on India stories, England stories, Pakistan stories, West Indies stories. They're not coming to the USA page. They're not coming to read about Stephen Taylor or Ali Khan or Monak Patel, or Tim Royan, or anybody else in recent memory. Everybody who comes from the U.S. to go to Crick Info is clicking on Virat Kohli, M.S. Stoney, Bob Razum, Joe Root, Chris Gale. That's where all the traffic is going. And so there's a bit of a misleading stat within that. Yeah, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, I think. And I'm sure that, like, I don't know. I don't know if you know or if they would even release it or whatever. I'm very curious to know, like, what the viewership of the televised USA matches were. Like, I would have liked to have watched it, but, like, uh, lately or while they were st- while they were still playing test matches, uh, I've been waking up with Penelope at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning, and we've been catching all of the England tests. And I don't know. She loves it. It's great. She just chills on the couch and watches cricket and she thinks it's an awesome time, which is great for me. So like that's that's easy for me, but like I wasn't gonna stop what I was doing to watch a USA game only because like it's not like top level cricket and like there are more important things that I had to do than that. Had I been in a position where I was like hanging out and that was on, I definitely would have watched it. But it wasn't like appointment viewing for me. But I'm very curious to see like to see how many people were if they would even i'd be curious to know i'd like to know how many people watched it and if there's any like relevant traffic data if they put anything up on youtube or like their apps or like whatever i'd be, I'd be interested to know based on previous streams that have been available for free on youtube my guess would be somewhere in the thousand to two thousand range and that's i mean they it. did some but, promotion yeah and like they i assuming that they have like some viewership for the minor league like you know it it is it was different i think this time i have never seen any promo for any usa streaming the advertising on willow is garbage but like i'm sorry but it was decent promo stuff as far as like willow is concerned for usa streaming matches so i thought that was cool i don't know i mean i'd be i'd like to know i'd like to know because it doesn't have to be that way and i mean like i might get in trouble for saying this the dude that the dude that hit six sixes the other day jasker on malhosha why on earth does he have an India grip on his bat? Seriously, that I, is like the central premise. This is the that is the problem. That is the cricket culture problem with the United States. It's like they only look at Joe Root or or Coley or Doning or like you know they're big mega stars, but like they want to be somewhere else. All these guys that are playing club cricket for the whatever country eleven, like come on guys, like why are we doing this? Like this is this is actually silly. Uh, I find it very very fascinating that you bring bring this up because when he hit the six sixes and he's he's in the middle of batting and i think it was actually before then it was when he got to his hundred and he raises his bat and the, and the camera's on him and then when he gets to 150 during the over that he hit the six sixes i noticed it and i remember messaging somebody to your point 
I just found it. It's telling. It's extremely telling of the current like cultural crisis we have in the United States cricket. Everyone's got their eyes on someone else. Everyone wants to be Hayden Walsh Jr. and fucked off to the West Indies. What message does it send? Like you said, the thing is, I noticed it. I mean, I'm watching it, and you can see Jaskaran's bat. It's the Indian tricolor. He's got a bat grip that's orange, white, and green, okay, and for people who are not watching this. And I noticed it because, again, this is a, I'm covering U.S. national team. This is a U.S.A. national team player. And of all the, the, the things that you associate with Americana, the jersey itself, red, white, and blue, and it is a, a very stark contrast when you see somebody wearing red, white, and blue who then has a back grip that's the Indian tricar. And I messaged somebody at the time who was, I knew who was watching the match. And I said, was it just me who noticed this or, or did you see this too? And they said, yeah, no, I noticed it too. And, and he said like, well, it's not ideal. To be fair, this is my take on the situation. Like at the club cricket level or like whatever, that's fine. It's fine. It is, it's literally, it is just a back grip. But like when you're representing your country, which is what was happening. And to be fair, I didn't see it until like I didn't watch the game. It, I think from the stream, it's kind of difficult to tell, or at least like the highlights that I watched, like I didn't pick it out then. And I saw the photo of him by the scorecard before I saw anything else. That's when I noticed it. And I even tweeted about it. And I was like, someone is going to like, I'm not, you have pride in your heritage. Obviously, this is not what that's about. But no, like, no, no, when you're- 100%. And just to cut in here, like, hey, it's a free country and he's got pride in his roots. I fully support that. And by all means, nobody's going to take anything away from the fact that he's, he's got Indian roots, Indian heritage. He's, he's migrated to the U.S. And so some part of him is always going to be associated with India. Having said that, when I was growing up playing sports, whether it was town league, rec league, or representing high school or anything else, I wore my school's colors, whatever they were. And that's what I represented. And I was fully invested in that. And if I were representing USA, whether it's cricket or any other sport, as an Italian-American, okay, let's say if it's cricket, I can't imagine I would ever walk out with a bat grip with the red, green, and white of the Italian flag on my bat grip being an Italian-American. I'm fully invested in red, white, and blue. And so seeing somebody else do that, not only does it send a message to other people involved in the American cricket community, but it sends a message to everybody else out there too, outside of the U.S. national team. Well, this player we're coming up against in another team, is this guy really invested in the team? Or, you know, what does this say about the team culture that this guy on a very visible stage has something very, very symbolic that contradicts the team he's supposed to be representing? I just, I just found it, it's not something I would have done. Hey, if he wants to do it more power to him, but I, I just, I think it sends the wrong message. I agree. It's like such a little thing, except for I, I, I am fully cognizant of like, it's a symptom of the larger problem. And like, I'm fully, fully cognizant of the larger problem. I wonder if I'm, maybe no one even thought about it besides us, maybe us two and the, the person that you text or message, like maybe you were the three people on the planet that noticed it. But like, if you're going to try to professionalize and like grow like a professional game in the United States and even like a, like a high level amateur game, like that's the kind of stuff that you, you gotta, you gotta know about. 
Today's episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now one of the premier venues for the minor league cricket T20 franchise tournament. Located at 5515 McKeever Road in Perryland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288 and a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Well, this goes this goes back to like, kind of the previous conversation we had, where you know the person I, I messaged and was talking about this is also a born and raised American, like you, like me. Okay, and so I think these things stick out to us more from that being raised in that mindset and with that background, just gr- growing up in America. Whereas when I've had these conversations with people who are Indian immigrants, specifically who are all part of the U.S. cricket culture. Going back to the previous conversation we had in the first episode about do you understand why it's problematic when I show up to a cricket ground and you guys are all talking in Hindi or Gujarati and I'm excluded from the conversation and they're like, oh, we didn't mean to offend you or we didn't mean to exclude you. It's just this is what we're comfortable doing because we're friends with each other. Blah, 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 blah. Why is that a problem? And it's well, if you don't recognize the problem, then I don't know how to help you because it is a problem. It, this this is not just an American issue. In my book, Inside the Selection Room, I interviewed, it, it's not just about Ali Khan for people who haven't bought it or haven't read it. The book is not just about Ali Khan's journey. It's about all the players who went to the 2015 ICC America's Combine in Indianapolis and kind of the, the struggles that each player goes through, the ones who made it, the ones who didn't make it to the initial squad and then onto the CPL. And some of the ones who went to the CPL kind of fell off the radar afterwards and the ones who didn't get to the CPL or didn't make the squad to go to Trinidad actually it was a source of inspiration for them to push harder and, and kick on and you were there I interviewed you for the book you were part of the book um, I but, did not know that but you're, you you're it. It. Well, well now I know you haven't bought the book well where can I where can I buy the book Peter it's on Amazon you can get it oh. on amazon.com but um but anyway one of the players Lautaro Musiani Argentinian who had one of the most gut-wrenching experiences for people who, again, haven't read the book. It's worth buying for reading a lot of people's stories, but his is very every man, I would say. It's something that if you're a cricketer, club level, regional level, national level, international level, anybody can identify with his experience because unlike being a superstar or turning into a superstar like Ali Khan or one of the other players who went to the CPL like Tim Roy Allen, He's somebody who everybody can identify with because he travels further than everybody, anybody to get to the combine in Indianapolis. He travels all the way from Argentina, travels something like 35, 40 hours on a couple of different flights. And he comes to Indianapolis, has spent so, so much time and worked so hard to get there to get his chance to try and make it to the combined uh, ICC America squad to go to the Super 50. And what happens? He gets run out second ball. And you know, when I interviewed him afterwards for the book, he says, you know, he had this existential moment, like, why do I play cricket? What was the point of me coming here? Uh, which a lot of people mean you go out to a Saturday, you spend the whole week building up to your cricket match and you get out for his ball or you get out for duck or, and then you spend seven hours doing nothing. Why did you come? But one of the things he said to get back to the original point was that even more than that, the, the second ball duck and haven't traveled, that wasn't the worst part of the experience for him it was being an outsider and being almost unintentionally excluded because he's there and he's he's a native spanish speaker but he speaks english and he's coming expecting everybody else is going to speak english so he'll have at least 
a common language that he'll be able to share and communicate and take part in all these experiences with the other players. And he's saying he felt very, very offended and left out. And he felt it was very disrespectful when he's there trying to communicate in English with the other players and the coaches. And yet certain coaches who were there, including his own coaches, when the teams were divided up, they're speaking in Hindi or they're speaking in another language to other players around him. And he's saying, you know, what am I, you know, am I the run to the litter? You know, why, what are you saying? And, you know, why aren't you communicating in a language that all of us can understand? And it was, again, he says rude and, and disrespectful, and I don't disagree with him. But again, you, you bring that up then with the coaches who, who are of Indian heritage. And the reaction is, oh, I had no idea I was being disrespectful. I had no idea I was being offensive or being exclusive or, or not really including him or, or behaving in a way that would make him feel not included. There comes a point though, when I, I don't think you can continue to call it naivety or being oblivious to it. At a, after a certain point, you, have, you can't be so consumed in yourself that you, you are not aware of the other people around you that are not feeling welcome and the message that sends and so, you know, Lautaro experienced it as somebody who came into the U.S. as part of a combined trial, but I know plenty of other people. I, I hear this a lot from West Indian players, players of West Indian heritage who are American born and raised or players of West Indian heritage who are born in Jamaica, Guyana or elsewhere who come into a team. They hear the Asian players speak in an Urdu or Hindi or Gujarati. And it's not a very welcoming atmosphere to be a USA national team player when that's the environment you're in. So whether it's by spoken word or by symbolic action, going back to what you said about the bad grip, like you said, it, it points to a larger systemic issue with U.S. cricket culture where there is not a feeling of unity. And again, a, it's free country. You can do what you want. But if the national administrators are making noises about wanting to unite the cricket community, that was one of the, the mission statements for the ICC, you know, to unite everybody and, and bring everybody together and advance cricket going forward and invest in grassroots. You can say all those things, but then having outward projection where symbolically or, or verbally you're, you're doing something else on the field or in the cricket ground, it contradicts that. You, you can have your private cricket club. You, hey, you can run your cricket club as whatever you want you want if you've got a private cricket club. But if you're going, again, going back to one of the points we made where you've got this feeling of discrimination in the U.S. where Again, sometimes it's not even good enough to be Indian. If you're not Gujarati or you're not Tamil or you're not Punjabi or you're not Telugu or Hyderabadi, you're not welcome. That's not going to help the overall mission of trying to forward the game in the country if there's always going to be parochial factions organized in such a way. And it goes from local level all the way up to the national team. I think overall, like the state of cricket in the United States, it's like so self-serving for expats that moved away from wherever they moved from and they just want to play cricket again and like that's good for them and like I want them to play cricket obviously because like cricket's an excellent game and it's like it's more than just a sport it's like a, a language for us to communicate through and it's great but there is like literally the amount of people that have like a forward eye on like actually growing the game or building something in the country is like minuscule like so small like not even like a proper fraction of players or administrators in the country and for for a country that 
has done like a lot of excellent things to just like continue to fail in this regard, even through at least well-intentioned like efforts to counter that, to continually fail in the same ways over and over and over again. I don't actually understand. You would have think that like we would have we would have succeeded by now because like we're we'll do it one day, but like we haven't. And the amount of times we've tried, or like the amount of opportunity that there is to like get it right, you would think that like we would do it once at least. I didn't realize that story, and I don't recall the Argentinian guy, but I totally, totally, totally empathize with that. And it's like a step further for him because like you know he's making an effort in a language that is his second language to like be a part of the community and you're right it's not naivety it's just like straight up ignorance at this point because like if the goal is to grow the game in this country and bring people in then like is it because if it was that we wouldn't be doing this still like still still it's when when i talk about this it makes me really disappointed because like i think if you show people cricket and you take away like all the the bs like tea and crumpets and like you get rid of some of like the hyper british nomenclature around cricket it stops being the butt of a joke and becomes like a real sport that people actually like might like like the amount of american or like non-cricket native people that we have introduced to the game and who like come out and even if they just like watch one game and they tell you that they liked it like they're not lying they did enjoy it they did see something in it for them whether like playing or watching or like whatever it's honestly just like complete and utter failure on the part of anybody that has any power in american cricket to build anything Make we could go set actually we could we could go on all day we could go down this rabbit hole as deep as we want to jason <laughs> but yes. we'll try yes, and bring you back to Crick info and espn so you told us which how... is why i went to espn because i wanted to change that <laughs> you wanted to change it and now now you're back in the coffee industry the coffee servicing industry so i, th- I think we know how the story t- went in terms of how well you succeeded in your objective um as, as well, i want to get into that so you have this ambition to come to espn just to show me up prove me wrong show hey there's somebody who can do it better and i want to show them how you get there and Somehow I completely disarm you with my unexpected kindness. And so we're working as a team, but it's a very challenging environment. Not, not as a team, but with other factors, external factors. And I want to get your thoughts on, again, going back to, I guess, one of the questions way back when, what were your expectations of what you thought the job was going to be about or the, what you thought you could do in terms of having an impact, just like we just said about what you wanted to do to help build up awareness in the wider sports community or in the cricket community, the U.S. cricket community, in terms of what you could do through your job and how you could fulfill that in your role and how things eventually turned out. Yeah. So I guess like I kind of knew what the job was going to be like. We were going to cut videos, right? And we we're going to put videos on the website. But I guess like I obviously I was hopeful that maybe some of the content that we that I was going to create might find its way onto like an ESPN platform that lots of people watch, right? And I did. I have a I have a reel that I have on Google Drive of all the stuff I did that went on Sports Center, or like all the stuff I did that made it to a property that was like not strictly ESPN Creek and Co. And I'm really proud of that stuff, even if um, 
John Anderson took the piss out of it twice on air. I was really pissed about that. And I saw him in the gym and I was like, mm. I can't just like mouth off to this dude, but like, I want to be like, come on, man, don't do that. You don't, you didn't have to do that. Like you could have, you, you, you punched down. You didn't have to do that, but uh, whatever. What was I going to do? Some like a uh, 21 year old kid, like shit talking, uh, big name talent at ESPN that probably wouldn't have not have gone over well you were gonna wait um, for him to get off the treadmill and then get back into the locker room to have a yeah, word no, yeah exactly <laughs> and I halfway wonder if like I should have said something I don't know anyway so I mean I, I have to I have to get in here too just just on that point there's some people who, have, who like you, your experience but I also would say there are some people who were really good about showing I, I also encountered I also encountered those people especially people that had an eye on the money they got it they were like I mean to them it wouldn't matter like what it was but like they did appreciate it for like in the sense that like it was a profitable or at least like interesting property for the company if for no other reason and they took it seriously because of that well that and or I think my experience with the two people I always bring up I discussed this in a previous episode with Todd Myers, where Lisa Kearney and Matt Barry. And when I had my interactions with Lisa Kearney and she, I remember specifically, she read out the highlight at the end of the 2014 T20 World Cup when Sri Lanka won. And, um, you know, I had to do a script and get her the pronunciations of Kumar Sangakara and Jai Warden and whoever else and Lasith Malingan. And she took it very seriously. And her, when I, when I wrote her an email to thank her, her explanation was, well, hey, this is a World Cup. doesn't matter if it's a, a Cricket World Cup or a FIFA World Cup or a Curling World Cup or a Tiddlywings World Cup. It's a World Cup. So the people who love this sport are seeing this as the pinnacle of the sport. And when I read the highlight, it should be read with the respect or the reverence or whatever word you want to use to show that this is the elite moment in this sport. And it's not something to poke fun at or do a tongue-in-cheek joke this sport deserves a proper read like any other sport would in a world cup moment and she did that and i was always grateful for that you don't get you didn't get that with everybody okay there were some experiences with certain people it wasn't a given that that was what you were always going to get but when it did happen with somebody like lisa kearney who's now at FanDuel, she does fantasy sports and um sports betting anchoring and coverage with FanDuel, especially for the nfl and Matt Barry, who Matt Barry has kind of gone on to do more college football play-by-play stuff over and above Sports Center, but those two in particular, I was always grateful um, because, yeah, sometimes you did get an anchor who wasn't going to give it the treatment you envisioned, but when when they did, I I was always grateful. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like the the market of a true professional. Yeah, so I get there, I see what the job is, I see the shithole that we're working in. To be completely fair as in context to like the rest of the facilities and like the awesome campus that ESPN is, I did a, I didn't ask me anything on Reddit as a ESPN Crick Info employee. And I so quickly deleted my Reddit account because like the answers I were giving these people about like what it's like to work at Crick Info, I was just reading it. And I was like, this sucks. They don't like, they're attacking me. Like I'm like being disrespectful about this. And I was like, okay, I got to shut this down. Cause like, this is, uh, this is not, this is not cool. Um, so I, so I see that. Right. And, I'm learning how to cut video because I did not know how to do it, even though I told them I did. I bought a Udemy course that I never watched, and I showed up, and you taught me how to use Quantel, and that was that. I figured out the rest from there. Even still, and I believe this, I believe it to this day, and I still don't know if I, like, play it back in my head, like, how I could have gone about this better. I'm sure there is a way, at least I could have, like, voiced these opinions to somebody. Whether or not anybody picked them up, I doubt it, but still. 
I think that ESPN, as the worldwide leader in sports, has missed a gigantic opportunity for a the second largest captive captive market in the world for the sport. There's so many ways that they could have capitalized on cricket, like so many ways. And they just, I don't, they just, I don't know if it's because it's like, it doesn't really doesn't fit their model or they're not open to like a new model. And given at the time when we were both there, streaming was still very new for ESPN and they weren't very good at it. I think that ESPN has really and continues to really miss a profitable property just in general because they're like not willing to adapt or fully understand the market. And they're just not, there's, it's just, I don't understand like why it's so far out of their realm because like, to me, I shit you not, I was at the airport the other day and you know what was on TV in the middle of a Sunday afternoon? Professional cornhole. Why? Like, I don't understand. Is it because like people play in their backyard so they can see it? Like if I see, when I see bowling on ESPN on a Sunday afternoon, like I'm sure they paid a lot of money for that spot, but like, more than like cultivating a new fan base or even if they don't put it on ESPN properties ever and they make it all pay-per-view. Like there's so much cash there for them. Like there's so much cash there for them. And I, I just continually do not understand why, why that is the case. And I would, I was certain that I could convince somebody. I think that Cricket ESPN USA is poorly managed, has continued to be poorly managed is misunderstood and is undervalued. And I was hell-bent on telling somebody that. Why? All of the above. Why do you, why do you feel all that? This is just from your own experiences having worked there or this is what you observed since you left? A little bit of both, right? Um, so like working there. So at the time, I think ESPN had West Indies stuff, like home internationals and some of the domestic stuff. They had England home series and all the England domestic cricket. They had New Zealand home stuff and our New Zealand like home internationals I don't think they did any New Zealand domestic cricket they had the CPL for a time they had the IPL the 2015 World Cup that was the main and thing. of course yeah, yeah the, the ICC 2015 rights. World Cup yeah the ICC rights for that because I'm aware of the market share for cricket in the United States I'm aware at like at the time how kind of inaccessible it was to watch international cricket and how like easy it would be to bring a ton of new customers into the ESPN ecosystem. And like they kind of half-fast did it with ESPN3 and all of the streaming stuff there. But like it would have taken very they have the infrastructure to do it. Do I right that they're doing like pay-per-view for UFC stuff now kind of? If ESPN's worried that like people are not paying $5 of their cable cable bill to get ESPN anymore because people are ditching cable, 15 bucks a month for Willow should be a godsend for them in proportion to like the larger, their larger customer base, like a super reliable, super happy to do business with you customer that is provided like literally something that they bring in off of satellite and they put on their property and that's it. They don't have to touch it ever again. They can run commercials if they want or they don't even have to because they're getting their like streaming subscription cash. Like now that, uh, that Willow is backed by like the Hindustani times, like, and they've got a ton of money, presumably, like I understand maybe it's more competitive now, maybe, but even still, it can't be that expensive. I don't understand the business side of it to not do it, to not like have as much cricket content and make people pay for it as possible. Like that is the key. Like, don't give it away for free on ESPN three, because like the people that are watching cricket on ESPN three are never tuning into sports center for the most part. So create something for them. It is very cheap for you to do. You have all the infrastructure to do it. 
I think I think the bigger issue isn't isn't so much lack of interest in doing stuff for our cricket. I think it's just the overwhelming weight of all the other rights content they have at work and they find time and space to do it in terms of if they paid a couple of billion dollars for NFL rights and a couple of billion for NBA rights, and now they've reacquired NHL uh, to start up again this season and Major League Baseball, Sunday Night Baseball, and they've also got college football and college basketball. You've got six major... They find time for bowling. Right. Well, but again, like you said, is that something that, you know, cornhole or bowling or, you know, I've seen, you know, what is it? Tag, professional tag, right? More than likely that's paid for in terms of ESPN isn't paying the rights. The league is paying ESPN to show that the paradigm is flipped. The difference though is like, I don't, yes, I would love to see ESPN like, uh, or ESPN two like playing live cricket matches, like on television, like traditional television. Like, yeah, I want that. I knew for certain that like that that probably wasn't going to happen though, even though like I thought maybe I could convince somebody that they should put it on there. But even if they create a separate digital space specifically for cricket, uh, like rights holder content in the United States, and they market that aggressively to the market that would buy it, eventually I think it would transform. It's like its natural like order of things would be to put it on ESPN two or whatever. Their reluctance to try to cultivate new fan bases for stuff that isn't already present in the united states i think is a is is a missed opportunity didn't yes didn't uh, nbc buy the rights for the the big bash for a while and were they playing that on that for or it was like two or three seasons right around the time that we were both at espn in in my mind and this might be a little bit of bias i think personally to introduce americans to cricket the premier rights contract would be the australian rights and here's why because it's not english it's not team crumpets and all of the things that go with like, oh, it's so English cricket. America has a love affair with Australia, has forever. The way that the like Australian cricket is produced, I think is very pleasing to the American eye. And also it's like in a perfect time slot. The time slot is the most important thing in my eyes, but also, perfect. I mean, why does it look so American or pleasing to American? Because one of the people who's involved in the promotion and the behind the scenes consulting is American. Dan Megala, who's at Forefront, uh, has done extensive consulting work with the Big Bash. And so there's a, an American flavor to it because you've got an American directly involved. <laughs> That's a big factor. <laughs> and so I just like, I think that like, if you, it's possible to market cricket to Americans. And even if you're doing it like subtly, like the Australian rights package was very important, is very, it's like central to that because like you take this for what it's worth. Like you can't like, shove cricket in a box like oh it's only for like people from india or people from the caribbean or people from england like it gives the like any american sports fan it gives them like it's like oh that looks familiar in a way to me that cricket has never looked familiar to me in my opinion i think you could cultivate it and i'm like i really wanted to do that espn and i learned very quickly how like not possible it is to do something like that just because of the the sheer incompetence at some of the levels, like any organization, you look behind the curtain, you're like, what is this garbage? Like, how does this job even get done, actually? To like, knowing that there are actually very smart people around and not fully understand, I still don't know all of the roadblocks to do any of the stuff that I would do if I was like in complete control of cricket media ESPN. So a little, like, there's a lot of ignorance on my part. I understand that. I just, I was like, I was hell bent. I was certain that I could like convince somebody that like cricket belonged at a more visible part of ESPN. 
Well, if you thought that chat went in a whole lot of different directions, buckle up for part three in the next episode because Jason Fox has plenty more to say about his time at ESPN Quick Info, which included a very, very challenging experience at the 2015 World Cup where Jason and myself and quite a number of other staff were huddled up in Bristol, Connecticut during a seemingly interminable blizzard which basically lasted, it felt like, the entire length of the World Cup in February and March of 2015. And then we talk about Jason Fox's family story tied to Mulhabilla Archibald, again, as profiled by Jared Kimber in the Cricket Monthly in 2017, the Shahid Afridi of Kansas. Check that article out if you haven't already. And that'll be good preparation for the final part of the conversation with Jason Fox on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I want to remind everybody, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Patreon. I appreciate everybody who has done so so far, and you help to keep the podcast going on a week-to-week basis, and I appreciate your support. I also want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't already, in audio form or in visual form, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Anchor FM, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and plenty of other podcasting platforms. That's it for this week. I'm Peter Dallapena, reminding everybody, God bless America, and God bless American Cricket. Cricket.